And thank you, Picker. I like hearing that song first thing here on Sunday morning. And good morning to all you listeners out there. My name is R.T. Lowe, and you're listening to For Your Information here on KTHT 97.1, your country legends, Houston's Cleveland. For Your Information is a public affairs program, and we try to have a guest on and tell us some things about their work in the community. And we have somebody that... uh, works with a lot of communities around the state of Texas. His name is Robert Nichols, and he is the state senator for our area. What district is that? Uh, Thank you, first of all, for having me again. Uh, It's Senate District 3. It covers 19 counties in East Texas and greater part of Montgomery County. It's a big, you and I were talking before (laughs) we went on the air, it's a big district. It's larger than nine states. It goes from Montgomery County, and then you head north to within about 40 miles south of Dallas, and then it go east to you hit the Louisiana line in Shelby County at center, and then you follow the Louisiana line down to Orange County, and so we have the Port of Beaumont and the Port of Orange, and then you come back this way, including Liberty County all the way to Montgomery County. Yeah, so, and so you have a variety, too. It's not just large area of miles but you cover a wide range of people and a wide range of businesses right we've got uh, 110 cities uh, 860,000 people we have some small rural counties in east texas and then we represent part of a a large growing county like montgomery county so it's pretty it's pretty big variety uh like i said it's larger than nine states i always get tickled i tell people on the south end of the district we have the town of Cut and Shoot, and on the north end of the district, literally, is the town of Gun Barrel City, which <laughs> gives people the feel for the history of the district and the disposition of the people that live there. Some of the older cities are in uh, Senate District 3. This is where people came to Texas. They entered uh, crossing the Louisiana border in this district. That's right. Uh, if you don't mind, would you tell some people about yourself? Uh, my background, uh, uh, Lamar... A Lamar University graduate, uh, industrial engineering. Basically, after college, I moved back home, Jacksonville. I ended up marrying my high school sweetheart, girl I went steady with. And we raised three kids in that town, and that's still where I live. And while I was there, we built four manufacturing companies out of plastic, starting from scratch, where she and I put the parts together. And we got involved in the community, first with the chamber, then with the city council. Uh, I was served for four years on the city council, then ran for mayor, served for another four and a half uh, as mayor. That's when I became aware of the impact the state legislature to communities and to the businesses and families that lived in those communities. And I started getting involved to make sure I understood I knew who my state senator was, my state rep, my U.S. congressman, and so on. And got involved in their races. And then um, later, George W. Bush, when he was then governor of Texas, asked me to serve on the Texas Transportation Commission, which I did for eight and a half years. And it gave me a chance to work all over the state, as well as with the legislature. Of course, by the time he appointed me, I had sold all my businesses. So I had, uh, the, I had the time to do that service. So while doing that, every two years, there would be this thing called the legislative session that would pop up. Mm-hmm. And instead of being out in the state working, I had to actually go to the legislature and talk to members uh, uh the House and the Senate 
And since roads belong to everybody, I worked with R's and D's, both House and Senate, because the roads are not partisan. They belong to everybody. Uh, after doing that, uh, my state senator at the time decided, that was Todd Staples, decided to run for ag. And so I had a lot of people ask me to run for the Senate. And so I made that decision in the summer of 05, and Brandon was elected in 06. And a lot of people would say Texas is a lot better for the fact that you decided to run as our senator in this area. Well, I appreciate that. And there's probably some that would say otherwise. But <laughs> Well, you can't. I'm sure you learned early on in the position you can't please everybody, can you? No, but you can sure work hard to please a lot of people and get things done. And I, I love the job. I love the people that I represent. We ought to get to where you have been in the last year. Every two years... As you said, the, we go into session, and uh, they keep you up there busy. What are some of the things that you uh, managed to work on? And you received a couple of commendations or awards while you were there. Yes, I did. Uh, we started the session in January, and we completed the balanced budget by the end of uh, May. And then 30 days later, basically, uh, we went back into a special session and got out of that in August. Since then, I've been busy trying to be back out in the district. It takes a lot of time to cover 19 counties. And so I stay on the road probably four days a week and try to spend time in every corner of the district. That's kind of what I'm doing right now. This is, by, by the way, for those that don't know, uh, this isn't anything new. You, you tour the district quite a bit. You probably know more about uh, the, a wider range of people in Texas than even the governor or some of our elected officials in a federal office. I would never say that. <laughs> They've got a big state to cover. I used to cover it on the roads, and it is a big state. But I remember being from a small town in a small county, I did not get to see my state senator or state rep very often, and I was always very sensitive to that because when we had a problem, I needed help. And so we try to make that effort to reach out to all the communities uh, on a regular basis. So when things do pop up, uh, we can go to work. As an example, public education is one of the issues that mm -hmm. I think always will be the number one issue facing the legislature. Our obligation each generation to educate the generation that follows with 101 school districts. That's almost 10% of all the school districts in the state of Texas or in Senate District 3. Man. Not 10% of the students, but the districts. The districts. So there's small districts uh, in the rural areas. And uh, that's a very, that school is very important to the people in those, in those communities. So before every session, we take the time to we bring our public education people up from Austin, my district staff, and we go to every county. And we set up appointments with every superintendent in that county and spend several hours with everyone and anybody that he or she would like to bring. And we spend several hours doing that. And so it takes, we do it morning and afternoon, and it takes almost two months of doing nothing but that. But by the time we finish, we understand what the current problem is. And we ask them, you know, I cannot rewrite public education. We have to be realistic here. We don't have an infinite amount of money. But if I could take a scalpel and focus on three things to fix, like doctor would do, what would those three things be and why? And it's very interesting with over 100 
asking that question a hundred times, I do not end up with 300 different things. I typically end up with five or six. And that tells me that we really need to work on those five or six things. And so I always get real pleased when we're able to accomplish some of those. Not necessarily because of my work on it, but because of other people's work out in the district and across the state. But when we find somebody that's really championed one of those issues, we jump on board and do everything we can to help them get it fixed. And we're speaking with State Senator Robert Nichols, uh, District 3, and it is a large district. I am amazed at the number of school districts that you have to work with. Having that many gives you a broader range of the things that face them. I would think that uh, your opinion is is uh, asked for by other areas that maybe just have one or two school districts. It's Everybody has a different perspective. If uh, I was a state senator in the Harris County, for instance, I might represent two. Right. And so their whole perspective of the issues related to public education are what's happening with those two districts, whereas we've got a different view. And somehow or another, we need, I need to help them solve their problem and explain to them what our problems are. As an example, uh, in the 1970s, they were trying to force small schools to consolidate. Uh, in other words, we've got schools that have less than a thousand students, and I mean all grades combined. And so other people's perspective were we need to force them in these areas to join and have bigger school districts. And they did that by punishing them with their funding formula, and that became part of state law. So if you were a rural school district under 1,600 students and under 300 square miles, you got a penalty. And I, I was so pleased, this issue has come up every session, and it was during the special session, we were able to fix it. And it wow. positively impacts 64 of the 101, and it will impact you know, Liberty County, San Jacinto County, and many of the surrounding counties. Oh, absolutely. From where we are right now. Cleveland is growing by leaps and bounds. Dayton is growing by leaps and bounds. But you got Hardin and all of these other smaller right. districts in the area that 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 was affecting. It's it it was a big deal for those schools. And Targington, you know that those are the kind of things that we appreciate you coming out and talking to everybody about. Uh, and there's something else about school districts in the smaller areas, in those communities, those schools are central to everybody. Right. Whereas Houston's uh, yeah, Houston Independent School District is huge, and it's not the same. It, sadly, it's not the same because I think schools mean so much. But that you're in touch with so many people in your district through that. Well, as you just said, uh, in a small community, the public school is a big thing. Uh, you they, they employ a lot of people, yes. but they touch people's children and that's the most important thing in most people's lives is their children and they know if it's going well if it's going poorly and in those small schools the superintendent actually knows the principals and knows the teachers and the teachers and the principal know each generation of classes they know the kids from first grade second grade they watch them move on year after year and they know the good kids and they know the kids that have weak spots and they try to help them and if you're in a massive school district, uh, a lot of that's lost. Uh, so, yeah. anyway. What are some of the other things that uh, we saw work on in the special session? Oh, well, in the special session and the regular session, I'm sorry. Probably 
Well, the biggest thing that's happened since the session is a hurricane, of course. I mean, oh, it's yeah. a, one of the largest disasters in American history as far as damage to how many people it touched. And so that's been the focus now for several months or ever since it's happened. And uh, we, uh, of the 19 counties, 11 were declared disaster areas, 11 out of 19. I didn't realize that. Seven of my, that are in District Three went underwater, or some portion of the county went underwater, and so you know Liberty, San Jacinto, parts of Montgomery, uh, Hardin, uh, Jasper, Newton, and you get over to like Orange. Uh, most people don't realize that uh, they have a total of forty thousand homes. Twenty four thousand were flooded, so that's almost wow. every other home, and uh, it just devastates those communities, and so. We worked early with the county judges, emergency management, to uh, try to stay out of their way. They're pretty organized. But as things fell through the crack, make sure that we could get a hold of our congressman or you know, whoever we needed to get a hold of to try to get them whatever relief we could. And then immediately, of course, in the beginning, it was save everybody. And then yes. uh, I would say that uh, uh, our other people in leadership position in Texas – took it seriously i was very impressed with governor abbott being on the spot as many places as he was lieutenant governor patrick uh land commissioner bush a lot of the home related stuff from disasters flow through the general land office and he has repeatedly come back to the district that i'm familiar with because when he's in the district they let me know and met him uh, as well as the governor and, and numerous times and uh and we continue to stay up so we went from save people to debris pickup, which is still not over. I started to say that's been an ongoing problem. And then if, uh, we're trying to get debris pickup at the same time. You have all these displaced people, find them homes, things like that. Uh, the businesses got wiped out. Uh, we've got communities where if the business isn't there and their homes aren't there, your retail's gone. And then it backs up to things like your schools again, where yeah. the kids aren't there. The teachers don't have a place to live, and the kids aren't going to class because they had to, the family had to temporarily move or get resettled. And we don't want the school to permanently shut down. So we come in uh, as a state uh, working with the federal government and FEMA to try to fix those things. So that's ongoing. Uh, we had hearings. Uh, I'm on finance committee, and on Tuesday of this week, I was in Austin. I try to stay out of Austin as much as I can. <laughs> But we had hearings to try to estimate the damage in dollars, how much is federal, how much is uh, individual damage, business damage, and so on, and how much how much did it impact each one of our agencies, and how we're going to make up the difference, things like that. But for the people that are out there, we still actually have people in tents and stuff. Um, it's hard to believe, but it's it's true. With winter setting in, it's it's so bad with all these mm. folks in those situations. Uh, of course, in the Cleveland area, we. Uh, it was interesting here. We had quite a few flooded homes, but uh, we're on a hill. And so our problem was nobody could get in and or out. Right. And the roads, I'm sure you're well aware of what the water did to the roads, having worked with those for so many years. Yeah, we had major arteries that went underwater. Uh, and when they go underwater, you cannot evacuate and you cannot get supplies in there. So the Red Cross, literally right in this area, I was we were getting calls from some of the county judges right around here trying to get red cross in there and they couldn't get here nobody could get in or out i couldn't get in or out and uh there were areas of southeast texas that literally 
were totally surrounded by water, like an island. Yet surgery still had to be performed. Uh, people in nursing homes had to be evacuated. The supplies had to be. So we had to get government Chinook helicopters, uh, which uh, people like Congressman Babin and uh, Kevin Brady and stuff helped out uh, with that kind of stuff. So everybody jumped in, and the agencies jumped in. It was just amazing how many individuals on their own would go out and help in these disaster areas. That was one of the great, if you looking for a silver lining in that horrible storm, it was all the work that the uh, citizens did for each other, everybody helping each other out. Uh, and we're speaking with State Senator Robert Nichols. He's uh, the senator for District 3, which is a huge district in Texas. As you look back on the session, what are some of the other things you worked on in, in session? Well, the number one thing, of course, is always the budget. And uh, there's a lot of needs out there, a lot of competition for dollars. And you want to, the state is continuing to grow. So, um, you know, make sure we have school funding. Uh, there's a lot of issues related to health and human service type issues. Uh, Medicaid, for instance, is driving the budget up. And this was the first time in our state's history that the cost of health and human services, including Medicaid, exceeded our education cost. Really? That's, yeah. So those two things uh, gobble up the uh, uh, greatest lion's share of the whole budget. And uh, so getting that done, um, I was very pleased that the legislature came together uh, uh, on mental health-related issues. Uh, sometimes we get so busy uh, that we forget people that are depressed, uh, that have serious issues like that. Uh, and if you talk to your law enforcement, I, I was talking to some law enforcement constable, like, for instance, yesterday in the area, and that's a, still a big issue. Uh, with the yeah. Sheriff's Association, uh, that's the number one issue because they go pick somebody up who has not broken a law but apparently is not stable. And if there's no bed for them, then they end up holding them at the county jail, which is not really the proper place, and they can't get good treatment. Any particular point in time, we may have 450, 500 uh, mental people in our county jails. That is one of the things that is a concern for all of us, people not being medically taken care of. And so the legislature, I would say over the last six, eight years, has started recognizing the issue. They've started trying to focus on uh, better treatment, uh, contracting out treatment to other hospitals. There's several categories of mental health patients. Uh, one category is a more violent type. In other words, they really may have done something violent, and the judge says, we can't have a trial until you get mentally stable. Yeah. So that takes a higher level of security and treatment than somebody who's have just in depression, for instance. Um, and so each session, we've made improvements in that area. And part of these beds that are needed uh, are state hospital beds. And they or some of these things are crumbling. They're pretty old. Uh, we've got several that were built. The original buildings were built in the 1800s, for instance, uh. and late 1800s and still being used and are kind of crumbling. So the legislature came together and they said three phases, one, two, three, we're going to try to, we came up with an overall plan and, and they stepped forward and they funded a lot of that. Uh, another area that was critical uh, had to do with child protective services. It really came to our attention. I'd say how bad of a job uh, we were doing at 
Child Protective Services, but we recognize some of these children where they had a problem, it might take weeks, if not months, before a caseworker can get to them. And then as you started analyzing the caseworkers, we had so many cases on those young people that they could, they burn out in two years. And so they were turning Mm -hmm. over. I know when I was on Health and Human Services, it seemed like a 40% turnover rate. And uh, you get young people coming out of school that want to save the world and save these children motivated. But if there's 50 children and situations for them to deal with, to travel to those different spots to, anyway, we were getting real behind. And so the legislature came together and said, we need to, we need more caseworkers. We need to pull the load off those caseworkers, give them more money, spread it out so they don't suffer through burnout. They can have more quality time with those cases. And as the turnover rate reduces, now they're more experienced. But we wanted to get almost weekly reports of how, what percent of the cases did you go visit and make the visit within 24 hours on a priority one, priority two, and so on. And we're seeing already uh, uh, dramatic improvements in uh, child protective services. Really? Hurricane interrupted it uh, for data collection and stuff, obviously. But uh, And the turnover rate is already starting to drop down. We took child protective services away from health and human services, okay. set it back up as a separate entity with their own board so that they can make changes, improvements uh, at a faster clip. That's some of the kind of things we did. Well, that's uh, a big thing. Once again, children, future of our state and nation. And we're speaking with State Senator Robert Nichols. He's the senator for District 3. Something that a little on uh a different tone. Uh, you were involved in uh, reducing the cost of the carrying of a firearm, right? Yes. Like a concealed uh, carry? Uh, of course, everybody w- works on these things, but uh, one of the priorities of Lieutenant Governor uh, Patrick, as well as Governor Abbott, was to lower the cost of the license to carry. Uh, we were a state early on that passed it. Uh, the cost for most average citizens was about $140, and we were one of the highest costs in the in the nation and everybody came together in the senate and in the house to lower that cost so we went from 140 to 40 uh, for most citizens and uh, so we went from one of the highest to one of the lowest yet we still kept all the pieces of the criminal background check the requiring uh, training and actual safety and use of a gun yeah you and i were talking back when it was first introduced a lot of the check was done locally with the local police chief or the local sheriff department, right? Uh, the counties were pretty involved in it. Uh, and uh, a lot of it was done manually um, on criminal background checks, fingerprints. And now uh, so much of that is electronic. You can do electronic fingerprints and f- federal crime uh, you know, scans and stuff pretty fast. I know we don't have a lot longer to talk about things, but... The change in the electronics, communications, even just since you've been in office, has to be tremendous. Uh, How much of a problem has that been? Especially you deal with uh, communities like Orange, uh, 
even the Cleveland area that's got fast internet communication, and at the same time you're out in rural areas where they're lucky to have dial-up and to, or, or barely dial-up. Uh, they're still working on cell signal in a lot of those places. Uh. <laughs> and uh, uh, people forget about that that live in the more urban areas, that as you go out to the rural, particularly I call it deep east Texas, close to the Louisiana line, you have subdivisions, for instance, in Montgomery County or Harris County, that have 10, 15,000 people in it. We have numerous counties that have less than 10,000 people in the whole county. Yes. And it's not economically viable for a telephone company or uh, Verizon or AT&T. They'll never get a rate of return on those towers because it's just not enough people. And that's, you know, that's the way it works. And it becomes a real problem in emergency situations where you've got someone has a heart attack. Uh, there's not a, you know, there's not a hospital in the county. There's not an ambulance service in the county. And if you can't make phone contact, uh, you're really in trouble. And we're speaking with State Senator Robert Nichols in District 3. And, of course, you have to work with other people in the legislature to make them understand the position that these people are in that are in the rural districts or well, the rural counties. Right, and and there's a number of rural members of the Senate in the House. Uh, uh, 80% of the geography of the state has 20% of the people. So 80% live in the urban areas. And all the new growth, 95% of the new growth, is going into those urban, urban areas. areas. And so it causes problems with education, transportation, water, and so on. And uh, the rural areas, there's since the legislature is represented equally in population that's why it takes 19 counties for me to have the population i need to balance out with somebody from an urban area and so the rural members you know work closely together obviously and 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 the urban members i've always felt like they've treated us fairly we just have to remind them our problem is different than theirs and so it's not really so much a urban versus rural as it is Sometimes they get they just forget. Well, we've got about oh two minutes here left to go. Is there something that uh, you would like to bring up, talk to the folks about? Well, I want them to be safe out there. Uh, you have Christmas is coming up. Everybody's real happy about the holidays, and they uh, and they start thinking about things. They start getting on their phones when they're driving, and uh, you don't want to get hurt or have a loved one hurt during at any time, but. Uh, it's especially dangerous, uh, like here in the last day or two, cold weather, lots of parties, streets wet, uh, pay attention, <laughs> yes. focus on the road, not your phone, well, uh, be safe. The, with the holidays coming up, uh, I'm sure uh, you wish happy holidays to everybody out there, but uh, safety is a major thing, and don't drink and drive, huh? Don't drink and drive, don't text and drive. Uh, that's something that you worked on up there too, isn't it? It was. Uh, it's been an issue just about every session, and we finally came together as a body and uh, did pass it, and it became effective September. Uh, a lot of young people uh, that drive were in a total habit of texting, and uh, it's almost as much of a distraction as drinking and driving mm-hmm. because when you your eye contact and focus something close. You're not looking at the road, and when you look up at the road, your eye takes a little while to readjust, and it's very difficult to go back and forth. And uh, we had hearing after hearing after hearing that were tearjerkers of uh, 
children that uh, teenagers or stuff that died or somebody else texting coming across the road and killing somebody who's doing everything right uh, uh, drinking and driving or you know being under the influence uh, still probably 60 percent of what's going on out there but be careful well we appreciate you uh looking out for our safety and helping pass things like that and we appreciate all the work that you've done uh senator nichols and i appreciate you having me on the air again and i love what i'm doing so thank you very much. Thank you, sir. If you have something happening in the area, we need you to pass that information on to us here at KTHT. Write it up and give us the particulars, you know, who, what, when, where, why, and we'll do our best to get it on the program on Sundays. You can write us at KTHT 416 Dunham, D-U-N-N-A-M Avenue, Cleveland, Texas. 77327. And with that, I guess we're going to let the picker take us out of here.